Welcome to That and a Dollar, the podcast that helps you transition to the bigger-than-life venue you deserve. I'm a guy named Chuck, and what I like to do is pick a topic and dive in with some pop culture examples. My hope is to share my thoughts and provide some insight into some of my favorite franchises out there. At the very least, I I hope to give you some movies or shows that you may not have seen or remind you of those forgotten gems. I like sharing things I like and, you know, maybe shed a little light on why I like it so much. I always love to hear people talk about things that they like, even if it's not my favorite. Uh, If I watch a movie and I don't like it, I always try to get back and rewatch it down the road just in case the movie was good and it was me and where I was at the time. With respects to shows, I like to give a minimum of three episodes before I decide to continue. Uh, If you like the podcast, I am posting articles at my blog, primarilyentertainment.com. Some of these early episodes have just been pulled straight off of there and, you know, edited or updated for the podcast. Uh, I'm also now on Twitter, so you can find me at at that and a dollar. Uh, Feel free to check that out. Uh, If you'd like to help keep this one-man operation flying, please feel free to tip at buymeacoffee.com slash that and a dollar. So what's the topic for today? Well, last episode, we talked about movies that should be TV shows, Uh, you know, from the big screen to the small screen. I I thought this time I might try it the other direction. I mean, have you ever watched a show and think, you know, wow, there really wasn't much there. Uh, Maybe even, you know, it had that one good joke, but is that enough for multiple seasons? Uh, Today, I'm going to look at five television shows that maybe would be better suited as movies. Uh, Movies are snapshots, whereas, you know, shows are more of like an epic poem if done right. Uh, With a movie, you get the event. With a show, you get all the necessary background and character choices that directed us through the event. At least with television, you get that. Uh, It it seems many shows use a through story to help with uh, that idea. And this wasn't always the case. Uh, It was a relatively new idea. Uh, it, It seems with streaming, this had to be added um, to to keep you binging the next episode. So today, I'm going to talk a little bit about those shows that maybe feel better as a movie. So here's my list of five shows that might do better as movies. All right. This first one, number five on the list here. This is a show from the early 80s. It stars Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari. It's called Bosom Buddies. Good luck. Uh, You may find clips of this on YouTube. I think it's about the only place I've seen anything on it. Uh, I hesitate to put this on the list at all. Uh, Modern society, comedy has changed. And I don't know if this show holds up to to today's standards. However, in my youth, I mean like third grade here, uh, I I loved this show. Uh, Bosom Buddy centers on two ad writers trying to find a place to live in New York. Um, with all the high rent, they could only afford to live in this one apartment building. But the issue in the building is the building is all female. So we have two adult males cross-dressing as females for lower rent. Now, I know the rent part holds up. Uh, I'm just wondering if the jokes around these guys dressed as women would actually work today. Um, lately, comedy seems to be difficult uh, to do uh, with you know changing views. So it could be hard for the show. All right, let's do the show. Uh, we have Tom Hanks. He plays Kip slash Buffy. Uh, he's an artist and a writer trying to make it in the world of advertising. His best friend, Peter Scolari, who plays Henry slash Hildegard, um, 
are working together at the, the same advertising firm. In the pilot, we see their building being demolished to make way for new condos. So they're out on the street. They lug all their possessions into work. This is where we meet Amy, uh, played by Wendy Jo Sperber. You may remember her as Marty McFly's sister in Back to the Future. Amy has a crush on Henry, and she is not going to stop until they are together. Um, their boss, played by Holland Taylor, who has appeared in, I think, an episode of Everything, uh, is trying to regain her former glory in advertising. So the guys do the work. She gets the credit. Um our duo heads to Amy's apartment to try to see if they can stay with her till they find a place. But where she lives is the building that's only for women and the rent is super cheap. So these guys decide cheap rent and being surrounded by attractive women is worth them dressing as women for that apartment. And from there, all the stereotypical humor begins. You know, we get men awkwardly walking around in heels. Um, we get guys flirting with them, dealing with the cat calls. I mean, we get it all. Um, with this on the big screen, we're going to need to make some changes and update for today. First off, is it really funny anymore to see men dressed as women, like, badly? Um, probably not as much as it used to be with how fluid gender roles are in our modern society. But I still think we can do some good here. Obviously, the movie's going to be a romantic comedy. First, we can have the storyline of Kip slash Buffy falling for one of the ladies in the building. This was a prime storyline in the show for the two, three seasons it was on. Um... And this would all, you know, have those traditional rom-com beats, you know, the second part of this romantic comedy. And this is where the update's going to come in. You get Hildegard slash Henry falling in love with himself. This could be him discovering he is trans and wishes to continue to live as this person. I think if the balance is struck right, we could have a laugh. We could learn a little something. And I think that could really be, you know, fun. All right. Number four on the list. This next one was appointment television for me in about the fifth grade. I'm talking about Airwolf. Now, it's available on Peacock right now. Uh, as a kid, I loved this show. Now that it's on Peacock, I am definitely into streaming this one. It has everything. First, let's talk about that synth pop intro. Very similar to Knight Rider. I always loved those synth heavy um, scores that we saw in the 80s. Um, you have the super secret helicopter. It was just so badass. Uh, and let's not forget, it had Jan Michael Vincent. Now, I loved him as a young, headstrong stuntman with Burt Reynolds and Hooper. I, I think I might be the only guy that loves that movie. Um, and I think for a brief time, I wanted to be a stuntman. Uh, you know, I figured out I couldn't actually be a space cowboy. Such a letdown on that. Uh, I would like to, you know, see a remake of Hooper, too. I think that could be fun. Uh, I, I think it would be great. I think it really would be great. Uh, back to Airwolf. Um, I loved how they would just sort of speed up the film to make some scenes appear more intense. I mean, this was prime 80s action. So in the pilot, uh, we see them testing a new stealth helicopter. We get the tight shot of Airwolf flying through high canyons, dodging radar stations, uh, even performing this like insane, absurd, uh, you know, rapid climb to avoid the low tech barrier of someone having stretched a cable across the canyon. Um, the test goes well. Airwolf is hovering just outside of the test facility. There's a senator on the radio congratulating the pilot. And then, boom, the pilot opens fire on the grandstands, steals the helicopter, and he's off. Now, how 80s of a show is Airwolf? Well, our villain takes the chopper off to Livia to sell to Qaddafi. 
Um, it was early 80s, so that was, you know, before the whole red line thing with him. Uh, next, we cut to the quiet lakeside cabin of one string fellow Hawk. He's played by Jan Michael Vincent. Now, I already mentioned Hooper. Let me talk about another film from him that I love, and that's Big Wednesday, uh, the film that focuses on a, a group of surfer friends. I mean, if you like surfing, this is a good one. Um, turns out Stringfellow Hawk was the original test pilot for Airwolf, but left the pro- program. So they offer him a million dollars to retrieve the stolen helicopter. All he wants is his brother back from Vietnam. Seems like Everything in the 80s had to tie to Vietnam. Stringfellow enlists the help of his old buddy, Dominic Santini, played by Ernest Borgnine. He's another actor I always enjoy. I I, I love when he plays the unassuming badass. Like, initially, you're like, who's this guy? And it turns out, you know, he's actually top-notch and is able to do what he needs to do, right? Um, We need to also mention the head of the secret organization, Alex Kaur, played by Michael Coldsmith Briggs III, the mysterious stranger type. Uh, He was present when the facility was shot up, and now he he wears uh, glasses with the one lens darker. You know, the cool 80s version of the eye patch. It was an excellent show. Weekly adventures with helicopter stunts. It seems like every show back then had a helicopter in it. Uh, I think this would be much better just as a movie. Again, bigger budget, bigger stunts, more depth of story, you know, for that moment. Uh, especially with an update for today. We get rid of Vietnam, we can bring in the war on terror, war on drugs. I mean, that's everything today, right? Uh, you could even have that first movie be a little bit of a remake for the pilot, you know, steal the chopper and we steal it back from the terrorists or whatever. I, I think we could get a decent trilogy, if not more, out of this one. Number three on the list. This one I think would be better as a movie, even though I loved it when it was on the air weekly back in the 90s. Um, And I do believe I just saw they're working on a reboot. I know I got my fingers crossed. I'm talking about the time travel hit from the late 80s, early 90s, Quantum Leap. Uh, This one's available on Vudu. The premise is simple and explained at the top of every episode with that wonderful voiceover. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own life, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. He woke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so, Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Oh boy. Uh, A simple premise, if I ever heard one. All right, Sam is played by Scott Bakula. Test the time time travel device on himself. He ends up in the past. He initially wakes up thinking we did it, but then soon realizes he doesn't know what they did. You know, like a fading dream. He loses his memory of what is actually going on. Time travel shows need rules. The rules here are simple. Sam can only travel within his own lifetime, meaning he can only experience the past he was alive for. Now, Of course, with time travel shows, they break the rules. So I believe there were a couple of episodes where we broke that rule. Uh, I seem to remember one where he traveled into the life of a past relative during the Civil War. I mean, I've watched a lot of television, so I might be getting that wrong. 
feels like it was an episode, right? Um, the other fun part, which kind of died off after season two, was the process would, you know, quote unquote, Swiss cheese his memory. Like he might remember some things about himself, but not others. This was usually played for laughs or it was used as a way of giving our hero a much needed skill by gently reminding him he already knew he could do that. Two rules, very simple, very effective. While Sam is traveling through time, he has a whole host of people in the future working with him. Gushy, the computer tech person. I think we only see him once or twice in uh, clips from the future, right? Uh, of course, you have the, the computer, this very advanced AI named Ziggy. Ziggy seemed to have emotions sometimes. It was actually kind of fun. Uh, but Ziggy's primary job was to figure out what Sam had to do to get home. Now, Sam's only link to all of these people was through Al, played wonderfully by Dean Stockwell, um, his friend and cohort. Al was the link between Sam and the future. This was a hard job as many times the mission was not what either of these guys wanted it to be. Almost a lesson in trying to fight fate, right? I do need to mention this. Bruce McGill plays a scientist in the first episode. You may remember him. He was uh, D-Day in Animal House. He was um, in the movie Time Cop. And I know I'm missing a bunch of wonderful stuff from here. Uh, he was just on uh, Reacher, season one of Reacher, which was on Amazon. So what he's doing in this first episode of Quantum Leap is he's checking on the test pilot's health and their mental health as well. Uh, they're testing the this new rocket jet that has them flying near Mach 3. Why do I mention this? All right. Seriously. Spoiler here. Um, he also plays the bartender in the last episode. And I don't remember it being outwardly stated, but I do seem to remember the bartender being hinted at as being, you know, God or whatever it was that was having Sam leap through time to fix these things. It's almost like the first episode, he's making sure we have the right guy for the job. And then the last episode, we're checking in to see if Sam can continue on. I, I love that vibe. Thoroughly enjoyed watching this. Uh, they did some really good episodes, um, serious episodes. Uh, again, if I'm remembering this correctly, it seems that just about Every episode had some future reference uh, in it. There's one episode where Sam helps Buddy Holly write Peggy Sue merely by changing the name to Peggy Sue. Uh, another episode has, you know, Sam is a priest and he's, you know, a boxing coach working with this uh, teenage boy uh, who has a job and doesn't have time to practice. And Sam tells him he saw this movie uh, about a, a boxer that, you know, would punch sides of beef to, you know, work his heavy bag. And it turns out that the young boy is actually Stallone, you know, the writer of Rocky, where we see that scene. Uh, of course, I think my favorite among these was uh, there was a Halloween episode where Sam essentially is trapped in various references to Stephen King novels. I, I would love when they would do like an entire episode and then at the end they'd have like this little thing that he would do. Like, uh, you know, he would leap into another situation uh, where he'd almost have to like guess what was the right thing to do uh, in the pilot at the end, when he shows up as this like washed up baseball player, he ends up, you know, hitting an in the park home run due to errors and things and ends up winning the game before he leaps out. Uh, the other thing they used to do that I liked uh, was when everything was wrapped up, but there'd be no leap. You know, you see Sam and Al going over sort of, you know, the totals of everything that they had fixed and changed, but they couldn't figure out why he hadn't leaped yet, leapt yet, leaped, leaped, leapt. Uh, it's one of those. Um, 
One of these episodes, of, obviously, was the Buddy Holly, uh, where they're trying to, you know, they've solved all these major issues, and then, you know, he changes the name in the song to Peggy Sue, and then we get the flash, and off he goes. I think this could work as a movie. It really is a franchise. Now, I would not necessarily have Sam go back for big events, uh, but maybe stories that are tied to the event, you know, maybe he's dealing with a family issue during the Watts riots in LA during the sixties or something. Uh, I know they did this wonderful, uh, I think it was a two part episode on the Kennedy assassination where Sam plays Lee Harvey Oswald that worked well. I would stay away from that in the movies. Um, here's hoping the re- reboot is done correctly. I- I'm hoping they also do some movies with this as well. Uh, number two, uh, this next one from the early eighties, you know, I, I should just really rename this podcast to things I liked as a kid. We're talking about greatest American hero. That's, uh, it's available on voodoo peacock. And I think Amazon, uh, greatest American hero is the perfect Reagan era action drama. William cat, uh, who was in what Carrie house and a bunch of other things. He plays Ralph Hinckley. Now, Mr. H as they call him works uh, with high school students. He keeps claiming to be a special ed teacher, but he's more of a prison warden. I mean, these kids are the tough kids. Um, and kids is not even the right description. Many of them look old enough to have their own families, which I guess is okay since they've probably been held back a few years. This was, has always puzzled me. I mean, it seems throughout my youth, I was being inundated with these sort of stereotypical images from the 50s. I mean, no matter where you are, the big bully is probably a leather jacket wearing New York City street tough. And here is no different. Um, probably what is one of the early roles for Michael Pere, and you remember him as Eddie Wilson and Eddie and the Cruisers. Also mentioned that in episode one of uh, our podcast here where we talked about fictional bands. Uh, the kid This kid actually challenges the teacher to a fight and we get one. I mean, the teacher accepts the challenge and, you know, we've got them boxing in the next scene, headgear and gloves only in the 80s. Right. Rest of the classes, your, you know, standard two dimensional characters. So while on a field trip, William Cat has these kids. They're going on a field trip uh, in that first episode. They run into Robert Culp as Bill Maxwell, the FBI agent. He's the kind of agent that only exists in movies in the 80s. You know, headstrong, go USA, button down agent. Uh, he and Michael Pere have words in this diner and Pere pulls a knife because he's a tough guy. Culp draws a pistol on a kid in public. No badge, no notification of being an agent, just some strange guy holding a gun on a kid and his teacher. Uh, Later, the school bus breaks down and Mr. H leaves the students to go find help. Uh, He runs into Culp once again, and they both meet with aliens. Now, the aliens use the radio to try to communicate with the two agents or with, you know, our two main characters, you know, just like Bumblebee and Transformers. Uh, Then a dead FBI agent approaches the car and tells him that he has a super suit, but it'll only work for William Cat's character. Now, on the way back to the bus, William Cat loses the instruction manual for the suit. And this is where the fun begins. So similar to like every Spider-Man movie, um, that first Spider-Man movie in each of the the, the sets, uh, we see him trying to figure out how his powers work. Um, And throughout the entire show, this is played for laughs. I mean, apparently flying is not as easy as you would think. Uh, He can fly, but he doesn't fly like Superman. He flies more like I would imagine the rest of us would, you know, arms flailing about as he pretty much screams the whole time. Uh, landing? Yeah, that's going to be inevitable. And of course, he crashes into everything when he lands, you know, from a filming point of view. Um, this must have made it 
so much easier to transition from the stunt actors to the character actors. So the teacher and the FBI agent, uh, they end up teaming up. Now, the FBI agent attempts to use our hero to further America's interests throughout the globe. I mean, it's the 80s. Reagan was president. So what else could we really expect? Um, the show combines that, you know, private eye show that was so popular in the late 70s with the fish out of water show. Think uh, Third Rock from the Sun or Perfect Strangers. Private Eye Show can go on indefinitely. Uh, the cases just get more and more intense. The real issue here is, as it always is, is the fish out of water story. How long does it really take to assimilate into new circumstances? I always feel like these shows only have about three seasons to them. And I believe Greatest American Hero had three seasons to it. You know, once you get past that third season, the story tends to shift the other direction. You know, we take our established guide and we put him in the strange land with, you know, going to the, the home place of the other person. And that usually signals sort of the beginning of the end for those shows. As a movie, I think this could be great. First thing we get is the snapshot. Obviously, we're talking origin story. It has to be done. Uh, we need the suit to go to the teacher. We need the forced team up with the federal agent. We need to um, know who these people are and what they're about. So obviously, an origin story. I'm also thinking for longevity, the new suit would need to be more of uh, like an exosuit similar to Iron Man. Uh, you know, this way at the end of the first movie, we could do a post-credit scene of a, an update in progress, you know, new powers to be explored in the next sequel. Uh, the next thing we're going to need is excellent casting. Now, my thoughts are for the FBI agent, I'd like to see like a Sam Rockwell or Brian Cranston. Both of these guys have the chops to play this very serious FBI agent. With them being so serious, I think it would add to the humor. You know, not a caricature, but like truly like a true believer FBI agent. For the hero, honestly, I think we need one man and one man only. I think it needs to be Jason Siegel. Uh, I think he has the right sensibility to carry the role. He would make an excellent teacher character, as well as this sort of awesome, unsure hero. I mean, this movie could be huge today if done correctly. I'm really surprised that no one has taken a crack at it, really, you know, with the popularity of Marvel and DC and, you know, just superheroes in general. Uh, why have we not had a serious comedy about superheroes? And yes, it would have to take itself seriously. I think that would make it funnier. It seems like most people these days are really sort of question their place in the world and their role in society. Having a teacher who most already think are superheroes, actually being a superhero, being unsure of being a superhero. I think that would ring so true with so many people. Um, People are always talking about the imposter syndrome, you know, feeling like you don't belong at your job. But I, I think this would, in fact, resonate with audiences. I got my fingers crossed on this. All right. Number one, this next show was on for one season and it really would have been better as a movie. I think it could be a serious movie franchise telling a little bit bigger stories in each film. Show is on the air for the 1982 1983 season. It has 23 episodes. I'm talking about Tales of the Gold Monkey. Um, again, you might find some clips on YouTube, but I doubt you'll find this one anywhere. Uh, I'd be surprised if anyone else has seen this. I feel like I was the only one watching it. I mean, none of my friends at school were watching it, which I found odd. So, what was the show? All right. So, the show's set in the 1930s. 
authorities. We have a bush pilot with a seaplane, the Cutter's Goose, which I always thought was so cool. Uh, each week we'd have a situation where he would pilot something or someone somewhere in the Pacific. And of course, things would go wrong. Uh, being it was the 30s, we would begin to see the Nazis arrive. World War II is hinted at, it's referenced. Um, now, I don't think I've watched this. I mean, maybe I found the pilot on YouTube or something, but um, since I was a kid. So please forgive me if some of the details are wrong. I know I'm getting the feel of it right. Uh, I do know that each week we solved whatever the mystery or situation was, and we were able to keep flying. Our lead, played by Stephen Collins, is Jack Cutter. He owns and operates Cutter's Goose, uh, a small cargo operation in the South Pacific. He's joined by his mechanic, Corky, played by Jeff McKay. Uh, it, it seems like he had an issue of some kind, but I'm not sure what. Um, maybe he was just, you know, drank too much. Uh, they are also joined by Jake, the one-eyed dog. Now, in the pilot, Jack loses Jake's glass eye in a poker game. Um, seems that they get mixed up on, you know, one bark for no, two barks for yes. Jack overbets and loses Jake's glass eye. Uh, interesting side note, Jake was a stray dog that was hanging around the set. So they adopted him, hired him, gave him a really cool eye patch and put him to work. Um, also along for the ride is Sarah Stickney White, played by Caitlin Ohini. Uh, it turns out Sarah is actually a U.S. intelligence officer monitoring Nazi communications in the Pacific. Uh, it's set in 38, so the U.S. hasn't entered the war yet. On our island uh, base of operations, we also have Reverend Willie Tenboom, uh, played by John Calvin. He's a Nazi in disguise. He's working with Princess Kogi, uh, played by Marta Dubois. Now, the name of the show is Tales of the Gold Monkey. It, it seems like we're always looking for this gold monkey idol. Uh, it's said to be as large as a house and has survived the fires of an active volcano. Uh, the Nazis are interested in this idol for the metal. It's gold, but there's, you know, it's mythical gold. So it's very strong. They want to use it in their rocket designs. Um, Princess Kogi is after the idol for its mythical powers. Everyone else seems to be there, you know, for the adventure of it. This is Indiana Jones, but with a plane. I mean, the adventures are endless. Now, I loved this show very much. It was a reason I wanted to be a pilot. You know, this was so much better as a movie, I think. Uh, we could get bigger budget, which would in turn mean bigger stunts, larger set pieces. Uh, we even get tighter storytelling, I think. Um, looking into the past to discover that people are people regardless of the time period also could be fun. Casting has to be on point. Uh, we need that scruffy hard as nails pilot. We need the comic relief sidekick. And of course, it's not going to be complete unless we have the eye patch wearing dog. Uh, I see this working as sort of a pre-planned trilogy at least. Uh, the pilot's the perfect example for the first movie. Uh, we, the audience, uh, knows the idol exists from the opening shot, right? Uh, our crew has their adventure, uh, finds what they believe to be is the idol. It's revealed to not be gold at all, but brass, and everyone's hopes are dashed. And that's really the end of the pilot episode. Um, then we see a little, like, you know, pre credit clip that's just out of there that shows the volcano erupting uh, and these monkeys that were guarding the temple are actually now hiding inside the giant monkey head. It literally is as big as a house. Uh, and we see several of these killer monkeys hiding inside to escape the volcano. You got lava running down the sides of the idol. I mean, it's really cool looking. If you did this as a trilogy, we would need something at the end to show our crew that the monkey is real. Maybe they find a map.
In the second movie, we can explore the location for which the island of the map is for, right? And then the last movie, obviously, would just be the horse race to the idol. I really think this would work. Again, bigger budget, bigger stunts, bigger stars, everything bigger, 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 bigger. Uh, all right, folks, that's it. Uh, my five television shows that really should be movies. Did you enjoy it? Did I miss your favorite? All right, please remember to like and subscribe if you want to hear more of my lunatic ravings about outdated shows and movies. As always, you can find a corresponding uh, post on my blog at primarilyentertainment.com. Uh, if you feel like supporting this one-man operation, please leave a tip um, at buymeacoffee.com slash that and a dollar. Please follow me on Twitter um, at, at that and a dollar. I'm a guy named Chuck, and as always, that and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee.